Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to this special program, Practice Saver to Practice Builder, Telehealth and Optometry. We're glad you've joined us for part one, Implementing Telemedicine, Hip or Hype. Damon Dierker will speak with colleagues Josh Johnston, Brianna Rue, and Walt Whitley about the opportunities telehealth presents to not only save a practice in challenging times, but also to build up a practice through expanding the reach of services. This program was supported with advertising by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. The opinions and views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and are not necessarily those of Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation or its affiliates. Welcome to Telehealth and Optometry. My name is Dr. Damon Durker. I'm Director of Optometric Services at iSurgeons of Indiana. I'm joined by my colleagues from across the country here to have a conversation about all the things that have been going on with telehealth and optometry, really past, present, and future. We'll talk a little bit about the past with shelter in place and our lockdown, but I really want to focus our session on what we can do in optometry and what my colleagues are doing now in their practices to bring telemedicine services to their patients, and then looking towards the future, both immediate and maybe a little bit further off as to all of the possibilities we have in using telehealth to take better care of our patients and help build our practices. We're gonna try to make this as interactive as possible. We're gonna have a chat amongst our panelists for the first 40 or 45 minutes, and we're gonna transition into our Q&A section. So if you have a question, go ahead and type that into the chat uh, at the bottom of your screen, and we're going to get to that here at the last part of our program. I'd like to go ahead and introduce our panelists. Uh, Brianna, why don't you take it away? Hi, I'm excited to be here. My name is Brianna Rue. I practice in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and a private practice setting. We have, I have a partner and an associate heavy into myopia management, scleral lenses, all the disease, um, did my residency at Bascom Palmer, and then stayed local, originally from Colorado, and wanted to stay in Hurricaneville. So here I am. Nice. I'm uh, Josh, Josh Johnston, practice here in Atlanta, Georgia, the clinical director and residency director at Georgia Eye Partners. I'm a large multi-specialty group, ophthalmology and optometry. Uh, most of my time is running our dry clinic, probably 70% of what I do day to day, seeing patients uh, in the dry clinic, and uh, certainly one of my areas of focus. Um, and we'll talk about it, but certainly telemedicine has been a big part of my life the past uh, five or six months per se. So it's gonna be fun to get into this tonight. Hi, my name is Walt Whitley, and I'm excited to be here as well with you all. And uh, thank you all for attending this evening. Uh, I am the Director of Optometric Services at Virginia Eye Consultants in Norfolk, Virginia, a tertiary referral care practice. So I see uh, patients several days per week, I do a lot of professional relations within the practice, but also clinical research. And one of the things, just like Josh just mentioned and Brianna did as well, is in regards to telemedicine. And you know, where are we? Uh, where have we been? What are we going to do with it within our practice? And so excited to share and learn from you all to see what's working within your practices. So let's go back briefly pre-COVID, pre-shutdown. Brianna, were you doing anything in your practice with telehealth to take care of your patients? I wasn't. I was looking at some things. I'm also the co-founder of Dr. Contact Lens, which is an online ordering site that we were working on. So it's funny to see these conversations, how they were pre-COVID to post-COVID. 
Um, but telemedicine wasn't really something I was embracing because we were booked out, we were busy. And then March 15th hit and we were one of the first clinics to shut down and, you know, got my telemedicine right up and running that, like, I think I got mine up and running in about two minutes before I did my first visit. And then we've just figured out how to get this into clinic. Um, and I'm excited to learn from what you guys have done. I know, Josh, you had a little bit larger task uh, mid-March. You had several doctors that you needed to onboard for several clinics within your practice. Tell us a little bit about how that happened and how you were successful with that implementation in something that nobody really saw coming. Sure, yeah, great question. So our, our CEO, actually the president of our anterior seg division for our large network is called iSouth Partners, but he basically challenged me to become an expert in this area over, over the next 24 hours at that time, sort of March 15th. And so I believe from memory that was a Wednesday. Um, by Thursday, we did our first telemedicine exam. So I sort of jumped, jumped in with two other team members under the leadership that we have and their guidance. And then um, basically, you know, created this from scratch. And so the first four or five days was in teaching our optometrists in our group. We initially had our residents um, being the technicians, if you will, working these patients up. And then the six or seven op optometrists we have in our clinic, working these patients up on the back end and, and billing telemedicine. And then I pulled out and really taught our network, which is about 1,300 employees across the Southeast, really how to do this. You know, it's not hard, but early on it was new, new modifiers. Um, you know, it was changing and evolving every day. So it was a fun task and um, really helped, uh, you know, uh, a lot of patients still stay in communication with us. What was the biggest challenge that you had in that many people within your network getting them onboarded? Was it the technology? Was it the building coding? Was it just a new system or process? What was most challenging? Uh, you know, I think it was just all novel, right? So uh, we eliminated people's fears. There were some, you know, communication was just constant back in the time. We did webinars like this two or three times a week for our network, um, guiding them on how to do the proper coding and billing every Friday, really. And then every Friday we updated with that because initially there were some changes on different modifiers and then E&M codes and all these different things that were evolving. Once we saw deregulation happen, um, it really opened up the door to innovation. And that was using things like FaceTime, Google Duo, so there was a lot of noise from prior stuff that was regulated, and we just sort of, sort of condensed everything down to our network um, to distill it down on, on what, what you need to do. And so ultimately that became sort of just guidance that we just try to make it clear and really just take action to help patients be able to be seen and helping our network of uh, physicians do this quickly. So Walt, I know, uh, like myself, like Brianna, we're involved in optometric leadership at the state association level. And I know that in Indiana, one of the fears was that telehealth or telemedicine and optometry meant telerefraction. And I think we all saw that the way that we use this platform during the stay at home, during the shutdown was very much not telerefraction. We're practicing optometry at a high level, uh, just using a different way to communicate with our patients. How can we use, or how did you use in your practice, a telehealth to take care of patients in a referral center setting? Yeah, uh, great question. You know, actually, I'm going to go back when you asked Brianna the first question in regards to where were we before this uh, COVID. And telemedicine has been around forever, and I've been part of the technology team within our practice. And so I've been charged for looking at all the telemedicine platforms. And traditionally, we've always thought that it's going to be Retina. And so whether it's going to be with the Walsh Allen unit, whether it's going to be with Iris, different ways that uh, we know that primary care providers are capturing an image, uh, a non-mid uh, 
vitreatic image of the retina, sending it to a reading center, does it have retinopathy or not, yes or no, and does it need further care? And so trying to find a way to implement within our practice, uh, that was not as easy said than done. Uh, different uh, platforms as the pros and cons uh, for all of them, but also, you know, for our time to take the, to take the time to do those reads in regards to, you know, should I be seeing patients? And you know, looking at our productivity because uh, business and, and seeing patients and bringing in money is part of the business of eye care. But then also, you know, when we look at the read, you know, what is the reimbursement for the read? And so that's one of the things that we had to look into um, several years ago. Actually, currently I'm the uh, immediate past president for the Virginia Optometric Association, and we did pass a uh, telemedicine uh, bill several years ago, and it came down to essentially what you were talking about. You know, what is the difference between an online refraction versus a, a, a versus telemedicine? And so essentially what it came down to in regards to this bill was it can be telemedicine as long as it meets the standard of care of an in-person eye exam. And so comprehensive exam, you got to meet all the criteria, looking at the uh, various structures within the eye. Refraction, we know, is a part of the examination, but it is not an examination itself. And so making sure the health of the eye is very important. And so that is something that was passed. I think we, that was like three years ago when we passed that. In regards to what you just asked me is where are we now within uh, telemedicine within the practice? Uh, this is something that we do utilize within, within our referral center. Uh, we, I mean, for many years, and you, you all know this as well, we get a lot of calls from, from colleagues in regards to, hey, I'm gonna show you this picture. What is this picture? And so, you know, giving consoles that way, we've already been doing that, but now there's opportunities that we can uh, bill and code appropriately for that. But then also a way to reach out to our patients because, I mean, we all have patients that are very apprehensive in coming into the practice. And so if we can offer them ways that we can give them uh, optimal care that's gonna be, uh, uh, that they're gonna be comfortable with. And as long as it, it meets certain criteria that we feel that we can safely do it, such as lumps and bumps, you know, itchy eyes, something like that. Those things that we can do telemedicine, but if it's, you know, flashes and floaters or headaches, you know, that's something those patients are gonna have to come to the practice. And so uh, we've been utilizing it within our practice. Great. So I'll share, uh, I'll start off with my experiences. I didn't have any other than doing some things with, uh, on, with monitoring with 4C Home for patients with high risk uh, AMD. Uh, that's a sort of telemedicine where we're doing remote monitoring and we have a diagnostic service that monitors patients. So when middle of March came, I was a little bit skeptical about telemedicine in our practice. I have a similar practice to Walt and Josh. I learned as much as I could. Um, I had a lot of time on my hands in March uh, and spent a week or two just doing a deep dive. And I finally said, yes, we're going to do it here. I'm going to get started. And I want to share uh, my first case briefly, and I want you guys to think about cases that maybe you think of, you had the first couple months you started doing this. The first patient I had was 75 years old. He clearly had not used technology a whole lot, but he was having a problem that needed immediate attention. And I ended up diagnosing him in a virtual video visit with floppy eyelid syndrome and, and mucus fishing syndrome. And we were able to provide care. It required a prescription medication, some counseling, we ended up doing an in-office follow-up a few weeks later, but I was able to manage a fairly complicated situation by taking a good history, by utilizing technology to be able to do an external exam, uh, come up with a differential diagnosis list, and then make a recommendation for treatment. 
And this gentleman was not going anywhere. He had a lot of comorbidities. He was very afraid to come in for an urgent visit. So we took care of him virtually. He was very satisfied with that. I was very satisfied with the outcome. Uh, Brianna, can you think of a specific case over the past few months where you had a huge impact uh, for your patient in providing either something that was fairly routine or something even more complex? A lot of the cases, again, when you're dealing, I think when we're talking about that barrier to entry, so a lot of these patients aren't technology, they're challenged a little bit in that area. So it was really nice when they lifted the FaceTime band and you could go into Google and really where they didn't have to download an app. So I think the barrier to entry was key to that success. But a lot of this was um, the lumps and bumps. So same kind of case where patient didn't want to come in, had the comorbidities, was diabetic, and had a huge sigh that we could just treat right then and there and make sure that she was safe. Um, a lot of allergies because it was March. So that was a huge thing that we were dealing with. Um, but in March, I had never seen so many foreign bodies. So we would do something like telemedicine wise, and obviously there's limitations to what you can see on the cornea there. But I was removing like three or four foreign bodies a week because now everybody was home and doing work that they've never done before. So that's where I think it's used, useful to look at the prognosis. Do I need to bring you in or can we do this virtually? And that's where we kind of went with it. So there's still a lot of limitations to it, but we were able to adapt and change. And I think that hybrid model or doing a portion of the exam virtually and then coming in line, coming in the office for a very directed, you know, visit. But I, I did a lot of that during the stay at home period as well, where if I was not exactly sure that this patient didn't have a uveitis or had a foreign body, I said, I just need to bring you in. But they were in my office for five to 10 minutes instead of 30, 45 minutes or an hour because we were able to do that efficiently before they got there. Um, as we got more sophisticated, I had technicians actually doing the workups for me. So I would come in, have everything done, and I would spend five to seven minutes uh, talking with the patient. But I found it was a nice um, way to be able to provide care in the safest way possible. Let's, let's do all of the history, uh, get all of our work done, then really they come in for a slit lamp and any sort of procedure. And it really was fairly efficient um, pretty quickly. Uh, Josh, I know that you, we're doing 80, 90 consults a day amongst the several optometrists in your group. Any cases that come to mind as being really uh, impactful? Yeah, great question. So when we look back on this, you know, our office normally gets anywhere from 300 to 400 calls a day, and that became our top funnel uh, of patients calling in every single day. Historically, we may have the call center, we may have front staff, front desk, um, technicians answering those calls. And that still is what happened during, during COVID, during the crisis there. But what happened instead of just the technician taking a note and having that patient come in the next day or, or whenever, we really had our optometrist on the front line triaging these patients, patients. So it was sort of that hybrid model like you mentioned. We would have a physician, that one of our optometrists, triaging these patients. Some of the outliers that we caught um, was the suspected optic neuritis. Of course, we brought that patient in to confirm that. We had a few angle closures that we triaged through telemedicine and brought them in and confirmed those as well, and they ended up getting lasers. And then, of course, you know, a few retinal tears. So those were some outliers. Most of our patients were subcontines, um, you know, styes, forteolums, lumps and bumps, like you mentioned, dry eye. Dry eye was a, you know, it's a safe disease state we can treat with telemedicine. So 
Um, not a lot of this stuff was glamorous. It was more sort of the chronic and, and disease states we're used to treating, but there was some cool pathology. We were able to triage through telemedicine and then bring them in, like you mentioned, that hybrid sort of more efficient model, just seeing them as quick as we could to help out and get those treatments needed. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Hey, Josh, how did you, can I ask, how did you get that set up? Because you, you said you get 400 and 500 calls a day and the patient has to consent to it. So are they calling a call center and they get reappointed to a certain template or how's that, how's that going? What's the flow? Yeah, great question. So it's pretty complex, but uh, to break it down to keep it simple, we have a call center and it looks like a call center like you'd expect, right? So monitors and uh, cell phones everywhere. And that's staffed with about eight people that are, you know, really trained in, in eye, eye care and sort of that sort of thing. And so I actually moved over there for three days to really listen to those calls and, and hear what was coming through, help that team make proper decisions. So initially these patients were we still had two glaucoma specialists seeing patients in the office early on, about 30 patients a day. Um, urgent and emergent was either triage to be seen in the office if it was you know, deemed an emergency, or urgent emergent telemedicine, or non-urgent telemedicine. So those were the three buckets we scheduled in. Urgent patients would come in if, they, if we decided it was an urgent, urgent problem, see one of our glaucoma specialists who were really at that point almost general ophthalmologists seeing everything for us. Um, if it was urgent telemedicine, then they would be triaged by a resident and handed off to one of our optometrists. And then, of course, non-urgent telemedicine, things like, you know, uh, my eyes irritated, I have a sty, these things, those were done second uh, as far as the order of rank there with our optometrist doing that. So call center was funneling these in, and then we really trained them. Uh, I spent three days over there really, you know, making sure that they knew how to funnel between those three buckets to make sure we didn't miss anybody and offer uh, good care opportunities to catch this stuff. That case history, I think we can't really – it's so important on the telemedicine visit, that case history and really taking an extra couple of minutes going through that, I think is really important. So it's gonna be interesting to see like Jetson's future where these case histories can go to really triage this. So we're not really having the human side of this call because we all have really great desk staff people that know flashes and floaters need to be seen right away. So it's really, where are you gonna put those in that bucket? So it's interesting, Josh, how you funneled that down in those tiers. Yeah, and, and there's one more bucket I'll sort of mention. We looked at everybody's schedule for the you know, next two or three weeks out and realized we had glaucoma patients, we had post-ops on the schedule, patients that had urgent and you know, had already been seen, right, iritis, these things. Those patients we proactively reached out to, they consented to a telemedicine exam, and then we really you know, followed up with them to make sure they were doing okay. And at that point, then you start having follow-ups for telemedicine, right? You knew their baseline disease state, they've been seen previously or been seen uh, via telemedicine, and we would follow up with them, you know, make sure they were to that point where they are feeling better or doing better as well. So that was one other area we sort of helped patients there. Uh, Walt, give us your experience or uh, maybe a case or two that stands out as to something that really made an impact for a patient uh, with telemedicine and, and keeping them out of the office. I will tell you what benefits our practice and the patients as well. Uh, actually, we've seen a lot of EKC here uh, in our area lately. And so oftentimes, being a referral center is, is oh, it's red. You have pink eye? Go to Virginia Consultants. They're happy to see you over there. But actually, several years ago, we had a, a horrible uh, uh, epidemic of EKC that, I mean, we got rid of coffee. We got rid of, you know, 
There's no checkout at the end. People just walked out the door and we'd schedule their follow-ups later. And so that's essentially one of the biggest areas we've been using it. You know, patients have uh, non-specific conjunctivitis. Uh, we're, we're utilizing telemedicine. Uh, uh, yes, we do enjoy point of care, point of care testings uh, to determine, you know, is this adenovirus or is it not? But we're not able to do that with telemedicine. So we're using our traditional questions. Does it itch? Is it gooey or is it watery? And then deciding from there how soon that patient has to come in. And so, um, you know, for us, w whether it's going to be that, we actually have a, a, one of our providers, we did set up a, a schedule, a telemedicine schedule. And so there was someone every single day had a template that we could put, you know, 10 to 20 uh, uh, telemedicine uh, consults on there. And so any patient that didn't have to be seen, but wanted someone to talk to, uh, that is something uh, that, that was available. But one of the things that come to mind, and, and we've talked about this before, is the dry eye patient. And so we do have patients that dry eye where we know it's a chronic progressive condition. We know that our patients, that we see them several times per year. And a lot of times the patients just want to know, they want reassurance to say, hey, are they doing okay? Is there anything they need to do more to control their condition? And so several of my dry eye patients, you know, I did, uh, I did speak to them several times throughout the, uh, throughout the pandemic just to make sure that, that they were staying the course, that they had clear, comfortable vision. And, and so those are some of the cases that, that we, we utilize it. And Walt, I know we've talked about one way to utilize telemedicine is with a two-way video chat. I know that a lot of the things that you're doing now involve a phone call. Is a phone call still telemedicine? So we do utilize phone calls, but when we're utilizing phone calls, we are utilizing right now mostly for post-operative care. And so we can talk about that now, or we can talk about it in the future. I'll, I'll let you decide. You decide on that. But it, it all comes down to the billing and coding of it. And so uh, the, the, la the last that I checked, that you, you don't have to have video capability. It is better because you can see an image to see exactly what's going on with that patient. But if the patient does not have the, the technology available, you can still build those codes, it's just going to be a different modifier for that. So it would still be considered telemedicine. You just have to use the appropriate modifier. Is that what you're doing? And Damon, using telemedicine? Yeah, yeah. Uh, phone it's, calls and video chats? That's a great question. I was going to jump in there and say, right, historically, before all of this started, we sort of thought telemedicine was really just, you know, treating like a chronic disease state like dry eye. There were platforms that existed that used speed questionnaires and these sort of things. Um, you know, it really opened up our mind when this was deregulated to doing other things. You may call patients back historically, but we would never think about billing that, right? And now that's an opportunity. So there's two types, um, you know, synchronous video. Um, and again, not a secure platform, non-HIPAA compliant now that the deregulation has occurred with something like FaceTime, Zoom call like we're doing, um, you know, Google Duo. These things, we used video. Of course, you used ENM codes with modifier 95. But then again, historically, we didn't bill for patients that we just called, but they're now reimbursable codes um, that you can use when you just talk to patients. And that can be simply about compliance with glaucoma drops, talking to patients about a disease state, whether it's new or chronic, these different things. So two different subsets, one what we would call virtual check-in with non-synchronous video, and then you know classic telemedicine with video that you can see synchronous video to really help you diagnose an eye condition there. Yeah. And the platform that I'm using has several different ways to do this. And one thing I'll do is secure messaging with the patient. And honestly, just before we started our conversation, I was doing some messaging with a dry eye patient that was having a little bit of a flare. And she is a patient that needs a little bit extra TLC. And she knows that she can connect with me 
uh, via secure messaging. It's not on my cell phone. She doesn't have the ability to text me, but I go into our portal. I can see the message. I get alerted to it. I can give her some advice. And in some cases, I just need to give her some advice. Sometimes she could send me a picture if she wanted to, or maybe we have to bring her in. In this case, you just need a little bit of reinsurance about what we had prescribed a couple of weeks ago, and she was very satisfied, as was I. Uh, Brianna, in your practice, are you using video chats? Are you using phone calls, you know, secure messaging? How are you interacting with your patients now? I'm doing mostly video, but we do obviously do some phone consultations. I think what's interesting now is more than ever, we're all really understanding our value in the healthcare system and charging appropriately for it, right? If you go to a talk to an attorney for 15 minutes, you got a nice little charge for a bill right there. So we all have our phones full of pictures that people have sent us or, hey, can you look at this? So I think it's interesting now that we're going down this proper route of charging for our time. So that's been really important piece to this when we got this off the ground was, how are we gonna charge for it? How are we gonna collect for it? If they don't have insurance, my girls are like, hey, here, you know, we just took their credit card and they're scheduled here at three o'clock. So that's been really fun to see that shift and really see our value. Um, one thing that we're using it for now is with the masks on, it's really hard to get the emotion across to your patients. So I'm even using it for myopia consultations now. So if I diagnose a myope in my chair, I'm actually dying or saying, hey, we're gonna schedule a telemedicine visit where you can actually see me and then sit down with mom and dad so they're both together so we can actually help that sale along um, and get this kid the proper treatment. So we're using it in different ways now than I think is ever, that's always gonna just keep progressing. But um, the masks has been an interesting perspective and a wrench in all of this because we explain so much to our patients and I think we're losing some of that because they can't hear you very well. Um, so I think we can go into that route as well. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, myopia management, bringing in the parents for a more in-depth conversation. Obviously, we still want to be careful during this time to limit the amount of time we spend in the exam room in close quarters with our patients. So if we can, you know, collect the data, have a, a brief focused discussion, and then schedule a follow-up for a little bit more intensive uh, discussion about their therapy and their options. I think that's great. I certainly have used that for dry eye patients in my practice, cataract patients, uh, some patients that have complex conditions where maybe uh, they are older and we want to limit visitors in our practice still and we want to talk with their spouse or their son or daughter about what's going on so they can make some decisions about their care. I think that's better to do that um, if I can have them sitting at their kitchen table and me take off my mask and have a, a good conversation. So I will say that over the last six months, I've had some fantastic conversations I never thought I could have, and they were all done virtually. And I also think I've become a better um, you know, clinician in terms of history taking. I, 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 we are forced to adapt to the technology. We know at this point we can't easily do a, a fundus exam or a slit lamp exam virtually, but we can take a great history and there's a lot we can do to help our patients if we ask the right questions, if we can see their responses and their emotion. When we have the mask limitation, that's been a real big challenge too. So I'm glad that you're doing that with your patients. And uh, it's also a barrier too. So if they're sitting at their kitchen table, they're more in that relaxed state. So they're more open to listening what you're saying versus obviously the white coat syndrome, which none of us are wearing right now. So maybe that's helped a little bit. 
But I think it also in like the cataract upgrades and those types of things, now they're actually listening to you, listening to you um, versus what, what is it? It helps them make the decision a little bit faster because um, they're more comfortable and they're not in that mode of practice, which I think is interesting. What well, I just tell them I'm, I just told them I'm smiling behind that, my mask. That's all I tell them. So. <laughs> hey, David, I had a question. So you see the patient and that scenario you mentioned, you're going to have them sit at the kitchen table. You're going to talk to them. How are you going about that? Because you already billed for an exam. Are you doing it that day? Are you billing as a follow-up like several days later? Can you talk about that? So I think you can do it multiple ways. You can do an exam completion. Um, and I think that that's a reasonable thing to do where you do the in-person, in-office visit, then you do the counseling for that particular visit as an extension of that exam. And that could be, uh, depending on what code you choose, that could be on the same day or a different day. I think generally though, I've been doing more of a follow-up, we'll get some additional history and we'll bill it as a separate visit. And we've gotten reimbursement for that as long as you have everything that you would normally have, a chief complaint, history of present illness, um, some sort of physical exam, and then an impression and plan. So I think you can do it both ways and it really depends on what codes that you use and what sort of problems you're trying to address. So in the correct population, if someone is just the, you know, deciding on different technology, that may be something that we wouldn't bill for that particular encounter, or maybe that's an extension of that in-office visit. If somebody has uh, some choices to make about whether we wanna do glaucoma drops or SLT, and we've started them on a drop and say, let's go ahead and check in and have a conversation that we would normally have in the office, that's definitely then a, a standalone visit in terms of how we've handled that in our practice. Okay. Makes sense. Thank you for tuning in to part one of our two-part podcast series, The Mod Pod, Telehealth and Optometry, Hip or Hype. Please stay tuned for part two of this series, where Drs. Damon Dierker, Josh Johnston, Brianna Rue, and Walt Whitley conclude their conversation by addressing the topics of contact lens follow-ups and maximizing telehealth efficiency, as well as hosting a question and answer session. This program was supported with advertising by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. The opinions and views expressed during this program are those of the individual participants and are not necessarily those of Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation or its affiliates.